Okay, we are in Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. And we began this proverb last week, and we will conclude it today. Proverbs chapter 8, and we'll pick up in verse 22. And I remind you that this proverb is speaking of wisdom as though wisdom is a person. And that is because wisdom is a person. Wisdom is personified in the person of Jesus Christ. So when we see wisdom speaking, it is Christ who is speaking. Christ is the one speaking here in this proverb, calling us and calling all to listen to, to heed the wisdom that he gives to us, right? The wisdom found in the word of Christ. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. From everlasting I was established, from the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth, when there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While he had not yet made the earth and the fields, nor the first dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he inscribed a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when the springs of the deep became fixed, when he set for the sea its boundary, so that the water would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the world his earth, and having my delight in the sons of men. Now therefore, O sons, listen to me, for blessed are they who keep my ways. Heed instruction and be wise. Do not neglect it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorpost. For he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me injures himself. All those who hate me love death. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your wisdom given to us in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that he has become for us righteousness and wisdom from God. We thank you that you have given to us your word, which is a perfect deposit of your wisdom, the wisdom of Christ, his mind and his life displayed for us in your holy word. And we pray that we would be humble, Lord, that we would listen, that we would heed your instruction, and that we would become wise. Lord, that we would never neglect or forget or reject any part of your word. Lord, even if it initially rubs us the wrong way, Lord, even if it confronts our own sin, our own ideas, our own practices, Lord, may we never forget your word and neglect it, but rather, may we use your word, Lord, as the standard by which to measure our own life and our beliefs. And we pray that you would use your word Lord, to remove whatever is sinful within us, remove what unbelief you find there, and conform our lives and our mind perfectly to your word. So, Lord, do this for us today, that we might be wise in your sight. Lord, that we would cease to be simpletons, cease to be naive and fools, and that we might be wise in your sight. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, here again in Proverbs chapter 8, the Wisdom is crying out to men, right, to us, calling for us to listen, right? That's what he said in verse 4. To you, O men, I call. My voice is to the sons of men. And specifically, he says in verse 5, to naive ones, to fools, he says. You need wisdom. You need understanding. You don't have it. And I'm calling to you in order to give you wisdom, to make you wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, just as it was said of Timothy. This is what was true of him, and this is what needs to be true of us. We are naturally naive and simple, and God has given his wisdom found in his word in order to make us wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That is the wisdom of Proverbs. It is the wisdom that leads to and results in salvation, faith in Christ, repentance of sin, living a godly life before the Lord. This is what we need Right, And that is what is given here. This is not merely for uh, us to have a better life now. 
for us to be a highly effective person, to be a disciplined person, right? To know how to manage our money, to know how to raise our children, though all those things are true, and we need to know how to do that in the fear of the Lord, right? It's not simply those things. It is faith, true faith in Christ, then manifesting itself in a life of obedience, which will impact the way we spend our money, the way we raise our children, the way we interact with others. But it is proceeding from that principle of faith, of faith, of true faith and salvation, right? This is similar to Psalm 119. The wisdom he's describing here is the wisdom of the redeemed, of the redeemed, the wisdom that they have that will uh, guide them and lead them so that they, in their life, are walking in the straight paths of the Lord, doing those things pleasing to him. Well, this wisdom of God, where did it come from? How long has it been around? Right? How long has it been around? Well, here we see that this wisdom, who is our Lord Jesus Christ, Christ existed for eternity. With God the Father, he is eternal God himself, and the wisdom of God has existed. It did not come into being. It was not created as this world was created, as you and me were created, but rather this wisdom has existed and will exist for all eternity, for all eternity past and all into the eternal future as well. Verse 22, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his ways, before his works of old. From everlasting, I was established from the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth. There, at the beginning, the Lord, the Lord God, God the Father, possessed the Son at the beginning, right? Before the world was created, from everlasting, the Son was with the Father. The Son was in the bosom of the Father for all eternity, right? The Father did not exist at any time without the Son, but the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, all three persons of the Trinity, all of them are truly God, fully God, the same divine nature. And one of those characteristics that is true of God, that is not true of any creature, is God is everlasting. He is eternal. So the Son of God, the wisdom of God, Jesus Christ our Lord, He is eternal as the Son of God, as divine he has eternality in him. He is the everlasting God who is one of one nature with the Father. And that is what is being taught here. In the beginning, before his works of old, right before the world was created, he existed with the Father from everlasting, from the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth. This is true of Christ. Jesus was not the first created being as some false religions teach, and as some cults teach, such as the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses, that he was the firstborn. He was the first created being, and then God used the Son to create all other beings. No, this is not the case at all. He is uncreated. He is everlasting with the Father. This is what the Bible teaches, and this is what it is teaching here. He was established from everlasting. Let's see that this is indeed confirmed in other places in the Holy Bible. First, John chapter 1. John chapter 1, it teaches this truth. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Here, the Word of God, the wisdom of God, Jesus Christ, this is obviously who he is talking about. Because he says in verse 14, the word became flesh. When he's speaking of the word, he's speaking of the divine word, the eternal word of God, who is the son of God. The son of God, divine, became flesh. He took on human flesh and he dwelt among us. At the incarnation, he took on human flesh, but he existed before he entered into the world at his incarnation. 
He existed eternally as the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, or as he's described in Proverbs as the wisdom of God, or in John as the Word of God. He was there in the beginning, and all things came into being through him. Everything in creation came into being through Christ. So if all created things came into being through him, then can he himself be a part of creation? No, he precedes creation. He is before it. He is everlasting. He is a part in terms of his humanity when he entered into the world in his incarnation, but in terms of his divinity, his divine nature, he is eternal, according to John 1, 1 to 4. Also, John 17, John 17, verse 5. John 17, 5. says, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. He had this glory with the Father before the world existed, before it was created. In eternity, before creation, the Son had this glory with the Father because He is from everlasting, from everlasting to everlasting. Also, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1 uh, verses 15 to 20. Colossians 1 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. So there, all things were created by him, through him and for him. All things. Nothing came into existence without him. He was before it all. And they all hold together in him. Now, he's the one that sustains the world by his mighty power. And who are we speaking of here? Jesus Christ, right? We're speaking of Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. Christ is. He is the very wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And verses 23 to 25. It says, We preach Christ crucified, to Jews a stumbling block, and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Then also, verse 30, But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us, Wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. So that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So there, he is the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God that was spoken of in Proverbs was personified in Jesus Christ. When he came into the world, that perfect wisdom of God that is described in the word of God was perfectly manifested in this world in the life of Christ, in the way that he lived and in the way that he spoke. We saw perfectly the wisdom of God displayed for us in his person and in his life, in his life. Also, in Micah, Micah chapter 5, Verse 2. 
in this, this truth that the Messiah <clears throat> would be the eternal God in human flesh was not some invention of the New Testament, but this was known in the Old Testament. And we know that when the wise men came to uh, Jerusalem to look for the king who had been born, there even the unbelieving Jews knew that Micah chapter 5 verse 2 was a messianic teaching. And they told the wise men, this is where he will be born, is in Bethlehem, because they knew this passage. But notice what it says there. Micah 5.2, But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. So how long this one that is born in Bethlehem, how long has he existed? According to Micah 5.2, forever, from long ago, from eternity from eternity, because he is eternal God. And that is what is also being taught in Proverbs chapter 8, 22 to 23, that God possessed the Son, the Father possessed the Son at the beginning, at the very beginning of creation, because the Son is himself the wisdom of God, and he is everlasting in his divine nature. Now in verses 24 to 31, he's going to describe the wisdom of God, the Son of God, how He was there at creation, and how He was used, as we've read in these other passages, that all things came into being through Him. He was the one that was the master workman of God, bringing about God's creation at the very beginning. The Son was the one bringing it about under the submission to the Father. The Father decreeing it and ordering it, and then the Son perfectly carrying out the will of the Father in the creation of this world, in the establishment of everything that we see. Verse 24, when there were no depths, <clears throat> I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While he had not yet made the earth and the fields, nor the first dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he inscribed a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when the springs of the deep became fixed, when he set for the sea its boundary so that the water would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master workman. I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the world, his earth, and having my delight in the sons of men. Here, this describes how it was that Christ, the wisdom of God, was there before anything in the world was brought into being, he was there with God. And then when all these things were established, he was the one beside the Father bringing these things about. And the Father was rejoicing in the Son because the Son was bringing all this about in perfect conformity to the will of the Father. Just as the Father decreed, so the Son carried out his decree perfectly so that God the Father was rejoicing and delighting in the Son, in the Son with this joy that they have with one another. The Father and the Son have delight and joy in one another. There in 24, he says, When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While he had not yet made the earth and the fields, nor the first dust of the world. Here he's speaking of the created world. All the things that we see and know are true in the world that we live in today. Right? We know that there are depths, there are springs abounding with water, there are mountains, there are hills, there are fields, there is the dust of the world. All of these things exist in this present world, and we see them. And all of these things have existed here far before us, for thousands of years before any of us were even a thought, before we ever came into the world. All of these things have existed in creation. Well, who was here before all of them? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was before all of them. He was there eternally, right? Existing before the world was created. This is why John the Baptist said that the one that was coming after him ranks before me because he was before me. He was before me. And in what way was Jesus before John? Well, not according to his humanity, 
but in, because in terms of his humanity, he was conceived after John was conceived. So John was older than Jesus by several months. Yet John testified that he was before me, and he means that in this sense. In terms of his divinity, his divine nature, he existed before John, and then he also, in uh, John chapter 5, Abraham. Abraham also rejoiced to see my day. And the Jews said, you're not yet, you're barely 30 years old, and you've seen Abraham? How can you, who are barely 30, have seen Abraham? Have, you're speaking as if Abraham rejoiced in your presence, that you lived during the times of Abraham. And he said, before Abraham was, but before Abraham, I was, or I am. I existed before Abraham. Well, how did Jesus exist before Abraham? As the divine son of God. He existed before Abraham. He existed before Noah. He existed before Enoch. He existed before Adam. He is the one who brought Adam into being. He's the one who breathed life into him at the very beginning. Jesus Christ, our Lord, as the divine Son of God. So before any of these things existed in creation, he was there and he is the one who brought it about by the word of his power. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and there was morning, on uh, one day. Then God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning a second day. Then God said, Let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees in the earth, bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plant yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning a third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons for days and years. Let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, and it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning a fourth day. And then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heaven. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves, with which the water swarmed after their kind, and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. Then there was evening and there was morning a fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind and it was so God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind and God saw that it was good then God said let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the field, and every bird of the sky, and everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he made, and behold, it was very good. 
And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and earth were completed and all their hosts. By the seventh day God completed his work which he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified because in it he rested from all the work which, he, which God had created and made. So there in Genesis 1 and 2, all these things that were created, Everything that we see in this world all came about through Christ, through Jesus Christ. He is the wisdom of God that was used by the Father to bring all these things into existence. So that's how powerful Christ is. This is how powerful our Savior is and why we should put our trust in Him. And He existed before all these things. And then in verse 27 of Proverbs 8, it says, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he inscribed a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when the springs of the deep became fixed, when he set for the sea its boundary so that the water would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth. When all these things took place, Christ was there with the Father. He was there and he was the one that all of these things were established by. They were established by him, and they were established for him. God the Father made these things for Christ, so that one day he would have dominion over all of these things, not only as the Son of God, but also as the Son of Man. As fully God and fully man, he would have dominion over everything, and all things would be in subjection to him, except the one that subjected all things to him. Only he would be accepted. So here, all of these things were created. The whole world that we see was established by the wisdom of God, who is our Lord Jesus Christ. We sang this earlier from Psalm 90, and we read it as well. In Psalm 90, verse 1 says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So God precedes and transcends this world, this world, this earth. He is not dependent in any way upon this world for his existence. How could he be dependent on it when he existed before it, from everlasting, for eternity? He existed before the world came into being. So God doesn't need this world. He doesn't need us. We need him. That's the way it works. We need him. We're dependent on him, but he is himself dependent on no one. Also, Job 26. Job 26. Job 26, verse 5, says... The departed spirits tremble under the waters in their inhabitants. Naked is Sheol before him, and Abaddon has no covering. He stretches out the north over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. He wraps up the waters in his clouds, and the cloud does not burst under them. He obscures the face of the full moon. He spreads his cloud over it. He has inscribed a circle on the waters at the boundary of the light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are amazed at his rebuke. He quieted the sea with his power, and by his understanding he shattered Rahab. By his breath the heavens are cleared. His hand has pierced the fleeing serpent. Behold, these are the fringes of his ways, and how faint a word we hear of him. But his mighty thunder, who can understand? So again, these things that are so amazing, so miraculous, that so display the mighty power of God. He's the one who hung the entire world, who put it in its place. He made the sun and the moon and all of the stars. He brings all of them out. He puts the clouds in the sky, and they hold water there, and they don't, it doesn't fall to the ground until he tells it to. All of these things are happening in this world, and yet these are but the fringes of his ways, of his greatness. Who can even begin to understand and fathom the greatness of our God? And all these things are true of Christ, of Christ, because he was the one 
who brought all these things into being. Also, Jeremiah chapter 5. Jeremiah 5.22. This is another thing that Proverbs chapter 8 speaks of. Jeremiah 5.22. says, Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble in my presence? For I have placed the sand as a boundary for the sea, an eternal decree, so that it cannot cross over it. Though the waves toss, yet they cannot prevail. Though they roar, yet they cannot cross over it. Here, the prophet is chiding the people because they have no fear of God. They have no fear of God. They do not listen to God. They transgress constantly the boundaries that God has established for men by breaking his word. But even the sea, the sea that is violent, the sea that is wild, the sea that is untamable by man. Right? Isn't this true? Even today in the modern world with all of our innovations, with these giant ships and boats that they go out, if they get caught in the right kind of a storm, even the sea with all of its power and rage can topple those great ships and sink them down to the depths, down to the very bottom. But who can the sea not overcome? It cannot overcome God. It obeys God perfectly. God has established a boundary and has said, you must stop here. And even with all of its waves and all of its roaring and foaming, it cannot transgress the boundary that has been established by God. And yet men don't fear God. They don't fear Christ. Right? In the churches today, where is the fear of Christ? Who fears him? No one. Because all people are told constantly is how much Jesus loves them that he's so desperate for them, he wants a relationship with them, he wants to be their best friend forever, right? He wants to be the love of their life forever, and he's desperate for them. This is what they're told. But there's no fear of him. But according to our passage in Proverbs 8, he's the one that established the boundary of the sea. And then in Jeremiah 5, he's saying to the people, why don't you fear me seeing, knowing how great my power is, how great my might is? We see all these things in creation, and they reveal to us not just the power of God the Father, but also the power of God the Son, of Jesus Christ. And He is the one that we have to give an account to. He is the one who will judge the world in righteousness. So where is the fear of Christ? Where is it at today? Well, it's not in the world, but it better be in us. It better be in us. We must have fear of the Lord, fear of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, also verse 30, Proverbs 8.30 says, Then I was beside him as a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the world, his earth, having my delight in the sons of men. This also contradicts another false teaching, another false teaching. We've already talked about those who teach uh, that Jesus or the Son was the first created being. That is a heresy that we should reject. It is a damnable heresy. But also, there is another heresy that goes back many years. Today, you see it in oneness Pentecostalism that teaches that there is only one God, and the one God manifests himself in three different ways, but there are not three distinct persons of the Trinity. There's not the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, there is one God sometimes appearing as the Father, sometimes appearing as the Son, sometimes appearing as the Spirit, but not one God in three distinct persons, all who are equally God, yet still distinct from one another. The doctrine of the Trinity. There are those today who deny the doctrine of the Trinity. Well, this passage contradicts them right here. How can he be beside him if he is him, unless he's insane? unless he's talking to himself like a crazy man. But here, the wisdom of God is beside God the Father. And the Father was delighting in him. How can he delight in himself? Again, unless he's crazy, unless he's out of his mind, unless he's a madman. Doesn't this entail at least two persons? It takes two persons, one to be beside the other, one to delight in the other. And that's what this is teaching. The Father delighting in the Son. The Son being beside the Father as master workman. He was the one who was bringing it about. 
the Father decrees it, and the Son executes it according to the will of the Father. And while he was doing this, it says, I was daily his delight. Every day of creation, every day since the world has began, God the Father delights in his Son. Because the Son never sins against the Father. He always does the will of the Father. And the Father has perfect delight in Him. And the Son also delighting in the Father. Rejoicing always before Him. Christ rejoicing before the Father. Rejoicing in the world, His earth. Notice that. His earth. Who owns the earth? Does Bill Gates own the earth? What about Jeff Bozo? Does he own the earth? No. None of these people do. They think they do. But they don't. They are more mere mortal men. And they're all going to die one day. They came into this world naked. Most of them are big dorks, nerds, right? And they were losers their whole life until they got very wealthy and then they became celebrities, okay? But one day they're all going to die. They're all going to die just like Steve Jobs, the guy that created the uh, iPhones that we all use. He's dead. And what benefit is all that money doing him now in the lake of fire? Because it's not doing him any good at all. They don't own the earth. You don't own the earth. I don't own the earth. That house you live in, that's not your house. That land that you own, that's not your land. Yes, it is in terms of man to man. You own it and I don't own it. It's yours, it's your possession, and you own it and not another man. And also not the government. They shouldn't be taxing us the way that they do on those things. So that's all a big fat scam. But anyway, it's your land in terms of man to man or human to human. But in terms of God to man... We are simply uh, tenants. We are using what is his. He owns it and he leases it to us. He allows us to use it for our benefit on earth and for the good of our family. But all of it belongs to him. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Every single bit of this world belongs to God. And is that just? Sure it is, because who created it? He did. He's the one that created it, so it belongs to him. So he has a right to it, and he has a right to tell us how to use the possessions that he has given to us, Amen. how to use the life he has given to us, how to raise our children that he has given to us. He has the right to tell us how to do that, and we cannot complain and say, this isn't fair, this isn't right. Well, what about my rights? You don't have any rights before God. He owns you. You have no rights before him. He can do whatever he wants, whatever he pleases, with you, with me, with the works of his hands. Okay, a couple of passages. Matthew 3, Matthew chapter 3. Matthew 3.17 says, And behold, a voice out of the heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is the beloved Son of the Father, and God the Father is well pleased with Him. That's the same as our passage, God delighting in the Son. He delights in Him. He is pleased with His Son because His Son always does His will. Always does it, what's pleasing to him. Also, John chapter 17. John 17 and verse 24. 17:24 says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me, before the foundation of the world. Isn't that an unbelievable promise? That the desire of the Son is for us to be with Him in heaven so that we can see His glory and we can see and experience the love that the Father has for the Son. To see that, to see that manifested before us. And who wants this to happen? Jesus Christ. And is God the Father going to deny His Son this request? Absolutely not. It's impossible that He would deny Him this. 
So will it come about? Absolutely, it will come about. We will be with him and we will see his glory and we will see the love that the Father has for the Son from before the foundation of the world. And then that same love, he will give to us. He gives to us because we are his children. We are the bride of Christ and he will love us as well and we will be with him and he will delight in us. He will delight in us. So all of these things are true of Christ. Uh, they are true of Christ. Also in verse 31, it says that he has his delight in the sons of men. That Christ delighted in the sons of men from the creation of the world. Well, certainly that was true in the creation of Adam and Eve, that there was delight there when he created them because God declares that it was very good. It was very good. But then sin entered into the world. And we know that God does not have pleasure in sin and that God does not delight in wickedness, in sin, and in abomination. But now, through redemption, he does delight in us again. He delights in the redeemed in this present life. Psalm 147. Psalm 147, verse 11. The Lord favors those who fear him, those who wait for his loving kindness. And then 149, verse 4. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the afflicted ones with salvation. He delights in his people, in his chosen ones, in his saints. He takes pleasure in them. He takes delight in them. He favors them. And that favor will be seen according to John 17, 24. I want them to be with me forever in heaven, and I want them to see my glory, and I want to see them to see the love that we have for one another and to experience that love for all eternity. This is what Christ does for us. This is the delight he has in the sons of men. Verse 32. Now, therefore, O sons, listen to me, for blessed are they who keep my ways. Now he gives the charge, right? All these things are true. He's declared who he is. He's declared where he was at, his uh, eternality, all the things that he has created, all the things that he has made. Now, in light of all these truths concerning the Son of God, what should we do? We should listen to him, right? We should listen to him. Isn't this what the Father told Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration? This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. Listen to him. You need to do what he says. You need to pay attention to him. You need to obey his word. And that's why we call the Bible, we can call it the word of God. We can call it the word of the Lord. But oftentimes we call it the word of Christ, the word of Christ, because it is the word of Christ. It is his word that has been given to us. And every word of it from Genesis 1 all the way to the end of Revelation, every one of it is the word of Christ. And we need to listen to it. Listen to it incorporated into our beliefs and into our practices. And what is the result of those who listen? Blessing. We are blessed if we keep his ways. And then what the contrary to that is cursing. If we reject his ways, if we don't keep his ways, then we will be cursed. It says in Psalm 19, in keeping them there is great reward. In keeping the word of God, Psalm 19, verse 11, in keeping them, there is great reward. Well, what kind of rewards? Just temporary rewards? Earthly rewards? No, eternal, spiritual, heavenly rewards for those who keep the word of Christ. Verse 33, heed instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Here, notice he says heed instruction. He doesn't say hear instruction and be wise but heed instruction and do not neglect it. Now, certainly it is true that for a person to heed instruction, they must first hear instruction, but not everyone who hears instruction becomes wise. There are some people who it goes in one ear and out the other. This is the parable of the soils. There are those soils that do not bear good fruit. And those that do not bear good fruit are those who hear the word, but they do not heed the word. Well, he calls us, to not be merely hearers of the word, but to be heeders, 
And to heed is to obey it, to do it, right? To keep it, to follow the word of God. This is what we must do. It is not enough that we have access to the word of God, that we understand some things here and there about the Bible, that we know the stories of the Bible that we were taught in Sunday school, that we have some factual knowledge about God and about doctrine and the things of God, that we can quote the Ten Commandments or any other part of the Bible. That is not enough. We have to obey it. We must do what it says. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says this in Proverbs chapter 8. He repeats it in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. Seven twenty-four. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, there the word acts on them is the same as heed, right? Isn't that the same as heeding? May be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against the house, yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So here the, the contrast and distinction between the two men are not that one heard the word and the other didn't hear the word. They both heard the word of God, but it's that one heard the word and acted upon it. The other one heard the word, but did not act upon it. And that's why he was condemned. That's why he proved himself to be a fool and because he did not listen to the word of God. Also, Matthew 21, verses 28 to 32. Matthew 21, 28. This parable is teaching the same principle. 21, 28. And what do you think? A man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. He answered, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. The man came to the second and said the same. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, that tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you do not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him, and you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterwards so as to believe him. Here, in the parable, Jesus is making a point. Now, certainly, the best is for a son to say, yes, sir, I'll go do it, and then for him to go to do it. But the point he's making here is that lip service without follow-through is nothing. They merely hear the instructions to be agreeable to the instructions, but not to act upon the instructions is not sufficient. And even when initially a person rejects it, but then later he goes and does it, that person is better than the other one who is agreeable to it outwardly, but then who doesn't follow through. He's showing how important it is that we obey the word of God, that we obey it. And that's what is also being taught in Proverbs chapter 8, Verse 33, we need to heed it and not neglect it. We must obey the word of God. Why is this so important? 35, he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. If we find wisdom, we find life. Wisdom has presented itself as possessing life, salvation, blessing, honor, Right, wealth, dignity, all these things belong to wisdom. And if we find wisdom, and wisdom becomes our friend, our bosom buddy, right, the one that we take to ourselves, then all of those things will be conferred to us. The life of Christ will be given to us if we find Christ truly. We will be found by him, and then we will have his life, and we will have favor from the Lord. We know from what we read earlier from Matthew chapter 3, Verse 17, that the Father is well pleased in the Son. In a unique way, right? In a unique way. In sinful man, God is not well pleased. 
But when we are united to Christ by faith, when our life is hidden with Christ, then what is, happens to us? God is pleased with us as well. We have the favor of God on us through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he's saying here. That's what we need. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That is eternal life. And that is the life that we need. And if we have Christ, we have that life, and we have favor from the Lord. But what about those who reject it? Notice verse 36. But he who sins against me injures himself. All those who hate me love death. There's always the contrast, right? The contrast between the righteous and the wicked, the blessing and the curse. And we need to hear both of them. We don't just need grace, love, mercy, blessing, goodness, peace, safety, happiness. We also need the warnings. And the Bible gives us the warnings so that we will take these things seriously. Not everyone obtains favor from the Lord. Not everyone heeds the wisdom of God. Not everyone believes in Christ. There are those who reject him, who say, it's not for me. I don't want it. Well, what happens if that's true of us? What if we have an evil, unbelieving heart that leads us to fall away from the living God? Well, if we sin against Christ, who are we actually injuring? We're doing it to ourselves. We're not harming him. He is who he is. And he will have his glory for all eternity. We're actually injuring ourselves. We're actually harming ourselves. And if we hate Christ, we prove that we love death. We love death. Something that seems so contrary to human existence. Right? Isn't it true? Isn't it natural for a man to love his life? Typically, this is true. Now, of course, there are exceptions. But generally speaking, it is true that no man ever hated his own flesh. He loves it, he cherishes it, he preserves it. We take care of our own bodies. If we have an injury on our body, do we not tend to it? If our stomach tells us we're hungry, do we not go and get some food and fill it up, right? We take care of our body because generally speaking, it is true that a man loves himself. Love your neighbor as yourself. That we naturally love ourselves. We love our body. We love our own flesh. But here, those who hate Christ love death. They actually despise themselves. They hate themselves. This is what is true of them. They hate themselves, but then they also hate their wife. They hate their children. They hate their family. They hate their friends. They hate everyone. They're filled with hate because they despise the word of Christ. And true love is seen in teaching people the word of God, teaching them how to have salvation, how to know and to do the will of God. So no matter what a person says, and they'll protest and say, no, no, that's not true of me. I love my children. Well, they may love them in a sense, outwardly, in that they provide for them, they, they want to care for them, and that's good and fine. But if they're not teaching them the word of God, and they're not teaching them the will of God, they actually hate them. They hate themselves, and they hate their children, and they hate everything, everything that is good and right. And they do it to their own demise, to their own demise. Eternal ruin, eternal destruction for themselves, for their families, for their children, for everyone because of their hatred and spiting of the word of God. And this is, happens in the world today. It's been happening for many, many years. Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 36. 15 to 2 Chronicles 36, 15 to 16, and this is describing what was generally true of the people of Israel for generation after generation after generation. Will this be true in our own day as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it will be true not only of the Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists and atheists, but it will even be true of those who claim to be Christians. Because most people who claim to be Christians 
They do not want the word of God. And if you preach the word of God to them, if you preach like the prophets and the apostles to them, then they will scoff at you. They will treat you shamefully. They will have disrespect and utter contempt for you. But they do this to their own ruin and destruction. This is why it's so foolish. It's so stupid for a person to do that. Will you hate the one, the, the physician who's going to give you the remedy that's going to cure you of your disease? No one does that. And yet, people do this with those who preach the word of God, who tell them the truth about their soul. They hate the one who is actually trying to benefit their soul. This is how much men love sin. They love it to their own ruin and destruction. Second Chronicles 36, 15. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them again and again by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they continually mocked the messengers of God despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people until there was no remedy. So that's what happened to them. And it will happen to us as well. If we reject the word of God. So we can't do that. We must believe it. We must find it. We must heed it. We must obey it. This is the way that we have to be. But if we sin against it, if we sin against Christ and his word, if we reject him and his word, if we are ashamed of Christ and his word, then we hate death and we will be destroyed by him on the day of judgment. And then if we teach our children to do that and our grandchildren to do that, then the same will be true of them as well. So let us then obey the word of God. Let's heed it, and let's teach our children and our grandchildren. And if God gives us great-grandchildren, let's teach them as well. Let's teach them what the Bible says and tell them that we must obey the Word of God, and we must do what it says, and that will be for our benefit, for our eternal benefit, and our benefit on this, in this present world as well. Because it's better for us to do the will of God now. It's, it's going to be a better life for us if we do God's will now than if we reject the will of God. So let's then... Teach it and let's hold to it with all of our heart and all of our strength. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your wisdom, Lord, that you have given to us and that you have revealed to us in your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have sent him into the world and that he has perfectly displayed, Lord, your righteousness, your truth, your wisdom, Lord, your power. Lord, all of your attributes, all of your glory has been so clearly communicated in the person of Christ. So much so that, Lord, we truly can call him the wisdom of God. He is your wisdom, personified and made manifest to us. But Lord, we pray that we would submit our life to him. Lord, that we would not reject Christ, but rather we would be those who are daily watching at the gate. Lord, daily that we would come to your word. Lord, eager. Lord, expectant to hear from you. Lord, to gain your wisdom, to receive understanding so that we can know your will and do those things that are good, acceptable, and perfect in your sight. Lord, we need your wisdom more than anything else. And we pray that you would grant it to us. Lord, we pray that you would give us a heart to know you. Lord, that we would not merely hear the word and so deceive ourselves, but rather that we would do what your word says. Lord, that we would be those who heed instruction. Lord, that we would not neglect it and that it might be for us wisdom and honor. So Father, convince us again and again of the truthfulness of your word. Lord, of the wisdom found therein. Lord, that these are issues of eternal life and eternal death that we would take it very seriously and that, Lord, we would walk in your ways. Lord, be with us today as we go from here. We pray that you give us safety as we travel home. And, Lord, that you continue to bless us this Lord's Day, that we would continue, Lord, even as we go into our homes, to continue to worship you, 
Lord, to sing your praise, to speak about the things of God. And that, Father, you would bless us this week and help us to do your will. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.